0: Hey guys, thanks for joining me here on Astros Baseball. Um, I wanted to try to find someone that did a Nationals podcast and see if they would join me here on the show. So earlier, I reached out on Twitter. I sent a message to Tim Shovers, who does the Nationals Talk podcast. It's actually an NBC Sports Washington podcast. I asked him if he would be interested in joining me on the show to talk about the World Series. He said yes right away, just let me know when. I told him when, and we met up. Uh, We talked for about 50 minutes. It was a great conversation. I enjoyed it, he enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast with special host Tim Shovers of Nationals Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Astros Baseball. I'm your host, Rob Fontenot. Uh, tonight, I have a special guest. He is a uh, Washington Nationals podcaster, Tim Shovers. He's the host of Nationals Talk. Uh, Tim, thanks a lot for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having
1: me. Great way to get, get started before the World Series. Yeah,
0: so the, uh, all the followers of my podcast, they all know, and I talked to you a little bit earlier about it, that I know nothing about the Nationals, except a few little things, but all the, uh, the listeners, they may not know anything either, so you will be the key to them, or for them, to uh, learn everything they need to know about our World Series foes.
1: I've been watching every day for the last seven months, so I, I think I can fill in the gaps for you guys <laughs> to get you set before, uh, before game one. Okay, so how long have you been following the Nationals? I've been following them for – this is my 10th season following them. I grew up in Atlanta, and I still am a diehard Braves fan. Uh, but I, I moved here for work, and it was the first year, 2010. They were terrible. And they were still sort of the remnants of the Expos. And then Strasburg came up in June of that year. And like the whole vibe changed and they kind of became a major league team overnight. And then not too far after that, uh, you know, they drafted Harper. And then uh, in 2012, I was covering them when they had, when they won the division. And it was, the first time that Washington DC experienced a playoff baseball game since 1933, which is a crazy yeah. stat. It's a long uh, time. Yeah, so uh, even though I'm still a dire brace fan, I love following the Nats day in and day out and, and have made a, and a, have added to my you know career repertoire.
0: So you said it was a, a, a nice big deal back in 2012. Uh, having playoff baseball in Washington. Uh, How does it feel to be in the world series? How amazing of a feeling is this?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. uh, Rob, you know, I mentioned 1933. That's the last time that the district has had the world series. You know, that's 86 years. That's pre world war two. And so everyone basically is experiencing this together for the first time. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of years where we thought around town they were going to get get here, but, you know, they won near 100 games. This year wasn't really one of them. Uh, first time as a wild card. So the fact that they went from trailing in the wild card game to now easily sweeping their way into the World Series, it's just like it's been a roller coaster season and a roller coaster October.
0: Right. So you, you faced the Milwaukee Brewers in the wild card. And is that the game where you had some uh, like big home run at the end to win it?
1: So that actually the the big home run is game five of the division series in LA, where that Howie Kendrick hit a grand slam in the top of the tenth. It was tied three to three, and then so the Nats won seven to three. The big offensive moment in. Uh, this actually was one of the craziest plays I've ever seen in person. Rob uh, of the wildcard game was so the Nats were trailing three to one entering the bottom of the eighth and Josh Hader was on the mound. You know, Milwaukee's do everything closer. He was going to get six outs and it just seemed like it was over. Well, wow. anyways, the bases were loaded and Soto hits a shot to right field and Trent Grisham, the rookie outfielder, let it go underneath his glove. So what originally should have been a game time single turned into a go-ahead double, but Soto got caught in a pickle between second and third, and and he was tagged for the third out after Rendon came across to, get, to take the lead. So my point being was it went from down two to up one and then immediately commercial break <laughs> because yeah. there, there was no time to, to cheer because he got the third out. So it was... It was a crazy uh, range of emotions on one play, and it's it's been nonstop ever since.
0: So, were y'all were did y'all play in Milwaukee? Were you the number one seed as far as the wild card concerns, or did you barely make it
1: in? So the Nats actually were the uh, they they had home field for the wild okay. card game, and and they hosted Milwaukee, and it was came down to the last the Nats clinched the wild uh, clin, uh home field for the Walker game over the weekend of the last weekend. But Hmm. Milwaukee ended the last day fighting for a division title with St. Louis, but they lost and they lost two tough games in a row to Colorado and St. Louis won, So they won the division. And so Milwaukee went for maybe one of the division to having to go to DC. And and that, that was the course there.
0: So you had a tough series in LA. Uh, You won that series three to two. Correct. And so that was the Grand Slam by Kendricks.
1: Yeah. So Kendrick hit a Grand Slam. So the Nats were trailing two to one after game three and the Dodgers won game three in DC 10 to four. And it sort of felt like this was kind of over. Yeah. Uh, But but then they had a bounce back in game four. I felt a questionable decision making by the Dodgers manager and starting Rich Hill, as opposed, I would have done, If I were Dave Roberts, I would have done actually what A.J. Hinch did for you guys in the first round, starting Verlander on three days rest, even though it didn't work out against Tampa. right? uh, Because I felt like he didn't give his team two chances to win. He started Rich Hill, got chased early, and saved Bueller and Kershaw for game five, which they ultimately blew the lead and lost.
0: Okay, so a tough wild card game, a tough series against L.A., and then you just go in and annihilate St. Louis four games to zero. Yeah, uh, it was
1: at, you know, the Nats' greatest strength is their starting pitching. And the Cardinals' yes. greatest weakness is their lineup. You know, it's Goldschmidt Ozuna, Paul Goldschmidt and Marcel Ozuna in the middle. But it's pretty weak after that. And, uh, you know, this Anibal Sanchez, who's the fourth of the four starters, had to start game one because of the long series. And mm-hmm. he almost threw a no-hitter, and he had a tone that, you know, every single guy seemed to back up. And, uh, and then by the time I got to game four, St. Louis was cooked. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was wild, Rob, going from the brink of elimination twice to then easily surpassing St. Louis.
0: Yeah, so the Astros did not have an easy uh, trail to the World Series either. Tampa Bay gave them all they could handle. And it just seems like they kind of ran out of pitchers. They they have some really good pitchers there as well. That was a pretty good matchup. Houston plays horrible in Tampa. And then the Yankees matchup. For us to go to New York and win the first two was just unbelievable. And then uh, I guess that was Saturday night. Altuve with the two-run homer after Osuna blew it. So, I was thinking we kind of had two different paths. I know you, you you had the sweep, and your guys are sitting around waiting and resting. So, what do you feel is the advantage? The team that is resting, getting all their pitchers in order, setting their lineups, or the, or the team that just came off of a high?
1: I actually I think the Astros have the advantage in this one. I look back to the 2007 World Series where the Rockies won 24-25, and – swept their way through the NL playoffs and then had a week off while the Red Sox had a hard fought game seven uh, against Cleveland. And then the Red Sox had a quick turnaround and swept Colorado. Now Red Sox are much better than Colorado that year, but uh, a parallel to that is that's the last time that a team was that heavily favored in Vegas going into the world series as the Astros are, you know, really heavy favorites out in the desert. So I think, you know, you take your time off, and yes, you get your pitching in order, but you look at Houston; they still have Garrett Cole going in Game One, you know. Uh, so yeah,
0: that worked out good for us. <laughs> if we would have had to go to Game Seven, it, we wouldn't have him starting Game One. So that worked out good that we won that game.
1: Right, and so you know, and then and Verlander's going in Game Two, correct?
0: Yeah. So we yeah. should be good. So we yeah. So we had a tough Font series. We had to go six games, but. Our pitching will still be in order as well, I guess.
1: Yeah. So you have not only do you come off the high of a hard-fought win, but you also have your pitching in order. So Houston uh, gets the best of both worlds.
0: Okay. So another thing I wanted to ask you, talking about the World Series, another uh, a successful season for Washington. Um, I don't know how to word this, but how does it feel? I don't know if y'all have any animosity or negative feelings toward Bryce Harper. But is it even sweeter that you made it since he left? yeah, i'm so I'm the
1: wrong one to ask for this because again, I follow the team. I'm not like a fan of the team, but right. Uh, so I didn't I thought it was the right move to not sign him. To me, why would you give that much money to a corner outfielder? You win with pitching, pay Patrick Corbin as opposed to Bryce Harper, and look what happened. They went to the World Series. There are a lot of people here who love it. They hate Harper the The main source of animosity is that he went to Philly, which is the, the biggest rival, rival right. division rival, and the closest team geographically. And Philly fans, you know, can be obnoxious and all that stuff. So, but you know, I look at it maybe too logically. Of well, they offer him the most money. I don't there, but uh, there are definitely a lot of people that were gloating about it. But I felt that it was. Um, I felt like we, you know, we've turned the page on that. Right. But, but, you know, for some people who are, you know, very emotionally invested to it, they feel differently than me.
0: So earlier in the season, I was doing a, uh, like a free agent type podcast type thing. And I thought I had read that the Nationals actually did offer him a contract and it was a pretty good one, but he, I guess he just wanted more. He wanted out. I don't know what he wanted, but. Was, is it true that they did offer him one or nobody knows except the people that were involved?
1: So there are multiple reports that they did offer him one. I felt though, and this is my opinion. I want to underline that that it was not a hundred percent true offer in that. I mean, I think it was an actual offer. Like if he had said yes to it, then they would have agreed. But I felt that deep down the Nats did not want to bring him back because they wanted to focus on pitching as opposed to give that much money to a right fielder. A lot of, the contract offer had deferred money to it reportedly Mm -hmm. a considerable amount of deferred money. It also, there are reports that they offered it to him during the regular season, during the final game, what before free agency began. And I just sort of felt like it was a gesture to the fans of, Hey, we tried our best, but I don't really think that he was in their plans. And, uh, year one, (laughs) they're going to the world series. Right. Uh, like, I don't know. I just
0: didn't see what the big deal is about him. I didn't think he warranted that much money. I'm in the same book as you. If you want to spend money like that, spend it on someone like Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Scherzer, somebody like that. Because starting pitching, as you can see, we have three Cy Young-type pitchers, and I believe y'all do too. And we're in the World Series together, so I think they made a good move. Uh, You look at Philly – Spending stupid money, Bryce Harper, uh, I think it's Gene Segura. That Gene Segura, sort of, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then Real Muto. I mean, they really stacked up their team pretty good, and I think they got third in your division.
1: Yeah. They didn't if have I'm correct. yeah. <laughs> uh, the, you know, the Real Muto trade was a great one, because I think Real Muto might be the best catcher in baseball. But, yeah, they spent a lot of money on guys that don't throw the ball over the plate.
0: Right. I was really hoping that we would get Real Mudo, but we didn't.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you guys are stacked pretty well. Else, so. <laughs> I, I don't feel too badly for you.
0: Okay, so here's one thing I want to ask you. I've seen this craze, the phenomenon, whatever you want to call it. I'm pretty sure you know where I'm going with this. The baby shark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what player is that Soto or whose walk-up song is that? that has the baby shark.
1: So that's Gerardo Parra. He's a utility outfielder. Oh, okay. He, he got, uh, he got cut by the giants and then joined the Nats mid in May when yeah. they were, when things were terrible and kind of provided a spark right away, had a grand slam in Dodger stadium in May. And then it's kind of an eccentric guy. And he started doing baby shark as his up song. And it just sort of, the team kind of took off and it kind of became the rallying cry and, Players started doing it, like, do, do little shark motions if they got doubles. And every time every time he would pinch hit, the crowd would go nuts. And he had, like, a lot of really clutch hits. So it just sort of added to it. And uh it's just one of those things that when you win, it catches on.
0: So is the baby shark only when he's in, or is it just something the fans do a lot? It seems like you do it all the time. I mean, that's how you see it on TV if you don't follow the team. But it seems like there's a lot of baby shark going on there in Washington.
1: Yeah. It really only is for him, but sometimes off a double, they'll do it. If the player does the shark motion back to the dugout,
0: but oh, okay. it,
1: it's not, it's not like as, uh, often as I would say the national media portrays it.
0: We had a player who recently got DFA'd and the Dodgers picked him up, Tyler white. And the first year he was here is rookie season. He, uh, he was actually like the American League player of the week, his first, seat, first week of his rookie year. And, and he actually used Baby Shark as his walk-up song. But <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't catch on. I mean, you guys, it just looks amazing. It looks fun. looks like the crowd is enjoying it. Some people could call it stupid or whatever, but I think it's really cool. And I, I, I think it's cool to have something like that, to have fun with your fans.
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's – a, it's a fun thing if you go to the park and you're part of it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if I were – if I saw a random AL team do it, I'd probably think it was lame as well. But when you're in the park and you feel it and you see people having fun and there's good baseball going on, it's kind of hard to argue with.
0: Okay, so so I did a little research before I contacted you or before – you know, you already agreed to be on with me. And uh, one uh, this is a very cool thing that I noticed – or that I picked up. It was a uh, Mike Petrelleio. It's a story he wrote, uh, but it was kind of uh, who has the advantage, position by position. It was on MLB, and I want to get get uh, with you. I'm gonna say, how do you say that? I want to talk about that with you after the break. We're gonna take a little break for the for the ad, but before that, I wanted to bring this up. How how was the feeling there in Washington when the Nats were nineteen and thirty-one to start out the season?
1: Uh, I actually went on the podcast after they lost that day and said that I would be surprised if Davey Martinez was the manager on Friday night the following day, <laughs> and, um, and that that they so the thirty-first loss came after a, a four-game sweep at City Field. Entering the week, the Mets were in bad shape and everyone was talking about their manager maybe getting fired. And then just the Nets had some really tough losses. Like nothing could go right. And um, everyone was throwing in the towel. And it was like being talked about as one of the most disappointing teams in D.C. history, you know, for all the promise they had preseason. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, it was, you know, and then that weekend, after they were 19 and 31, the Marlins came to town. They took three of four, and the Marlins turned out to be the elixir. And uh, it's, it's been all different ever since.
0: So what the story says here, and I don't even know if you know this because I didn't know this, but after the Nats started 19 and 31, from that day forward, the Astros record 73 and 37, the Nationals record 74 and 38. So, so, since the time you were 19 and 31, the Astros and the Nats have pretty much been the same team, the same record, same type season.
1: Yeah, two, uh, two, two hot teams for the last four months. I mean, you guys have been hot for six months, but um, it's crazy, but also it makes sense that these are the two teams left standing.
0: All right. Okay, so after the break, I'm going to take a quick break here in a sec. I, I want to go over the position by position so everybody that listens to the podcast can hear what y'all got on your team and what we can look forward to in the series. Sound good to you? Perfect. All right. Well, we'll be right back, folks. You're listening to Astros Baseball with guest Tim Shovers. We're back. All right. So who has the advantage position by position? I stole this off MLB.com. Mike Petriello. I I guess I should have wrote his name. I do a lot of note taking. And I can't read half the stuff I write.
1: (laughs) I'm the same way. Don't worry about it.
0: Oh, I I did have a question for you. So here's what I do. I, I tell everybody I do this. I write everything down in black ink on two pieces of paper, and then I mark it off with red. And so I see this big black writing here with no red around it. So this is a good question I have, and it'll it'll fall into place with your uh, lineup. So one question I had for you is, what was the key offseason moves that the Nationals made, if any?
1: Uh, well, the, the, the biggest key was Patrick Corbin. He was the top pitcher on the free agent market. Even the Yankees were going after him. Yeah, And the Nats, pan- Nats ponied up big time for him, offered him a six-year deal, over $20 million a year, uh, to be their third starter. And <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of money, obviously, for a guy who's not going to be your ace. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you put someone like that as your third starter, you definitely separate yourself from a lot of teams.
0: Yeah, I think Greenkey's our third starter, and he makes like $24 million, if not more. So we got a lot of money invested in our third
1: starters. Yeah, uh and you know to me you win with pitching and so there's no coincidence there.
0: All right. So let's go here. We got the catchers. Y'all have Suzuki, it's Kurt Suzuki. Oh, and this says here you have a tiny advantage over the Astros over Robinson Chirinos. Our backup catchers are pretty much equal. I mean, I, we're not very strong at catcher. I mean, mm-hmm. That's no secret.
1: Yeah, uh, so Suzuki gets the bulk of the time. Also, you'll see Jan Gomes get a start or two as well. Uh-huh. Uh, they do have the ability to come through with a hit, neither of which are very good defensively, I would say. They're not great at throwing base runners out. Uh, but they definitely can give a big hit when, when needed. I would say, to me, that's the biggest uh, weakness of the Astros starting lineup. So I, I would give the edge to the Nats behind the plate.
0: Okay, then you agree with this guy. All right. Okay, so next up, and and I have what he has written, but I have a feeling that you know more than he does. So first base, we have Yuli Gurriel, uh, 298 batting average, 31 home runs on the season, Uh, top 10 hottest hitters in the second half of uh, the season. And it says here that your first baseman is going to be Zimmerman. A two fifty seven average in an injury-plague season, only 190 at-bats.
1: Yeah, correct. So Zimmerman's going to get the start of first base. He's been the first baseman for almost every game in the playoffs, especially the last handful of games. He did miss a lot of time this year, uh, but he, he is a very good hitter when, when he's healthy. He had, a, he had a heel injury this year uh, in, in his foot. But uh, he's very good defensively. But I would give the edge to uh, to you guys when it comes to first base.
0: So, Yuli Guriel, if you I, did you watch the uh, game six between the Astros and the Yankees? I did, yeah. So, Yuli Guriel hit that three run homer in the first inning. And going into that at bat, he was one for 20 in the series. So, the Astros didn't have a lot of hits but they had timely hits and great pitching okay so they give the advantage to Yuli and I don't really know anything about it but you look at the numbers Yuli Gurriel, I, I'll give the advantage to us as well and then second base it says y'all have Kendrick and Dozier will also play some second does that sound like that's something that would be correct
1: uh yeah kind of I'll add a little bit to that so Kendrick's probably going to dh. Uh, games one and game two Mm because he's not a great glove he was the NLCS MVP so his bats needed in the lineup I could see either as Drupal Cabrera or Brian Dozier starting maybe one will start game one and the other will start game two as Drupal Cabrera is a switch hitter which allows him to hit from the left side against the two right handers that Houston's going to throw out there Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I would say the best glove is probably Dozier of the three so I, I would I would add Cabrera to that mix uh, when it comes to that.
0: Okay, so second base for the Astros, definitely every game, every second of every game will be <laughs> Jose Altuve.
1: Yeah, I'm going to give the edge to the MVP.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll I, in that one. I, I don't even know what they said. I don't know. if I think they said a very big advantage. I think that was like a pretty big one. So next up, shortstop, we have Correa. And y'all have Turner. Is it Trey Turner? I didn't write his first yes. name. Something. Okay, so I don't do a lot of – I'm not a very big stat person. I'm like old school. This is your batting average. This is how many RBIs you have. This is how many home runs you have. But it, uh, Correa with a 3.2 war. Turner with a 3.5 war. And I guess that's wins above replacement, which yes. you're earning, earning throughout the season and it gives it it gives Korea the advantage because it says it is over 321 plate appearances as it took Turner 569 so it gives the advantage to Korea which Korea to me is one of the best fielding shortstops in baseball but it says here that Trey Turner is a very dangerous base runner
1: yeah so Trey Turner missed about 6 weeks early in the season uh, um and then he had an injury, but he still almost won the NL title for steals. So that's how impressive he is. He almost – he felt three shy of Ronald Acuna Jr. That's he very is, impressive. Yeah, he is He is a prototypical leadoff hitter. He's a very good player. He's one of the more underrated players in baseball. I, I'm not trying to, to uh, get out of this question. I, I honestly give it a push at shortstop, which mm-hmm. is hard because I think Correa – also was one of the most underrated players in baseball. Uh, I don't know why he's not a bigger name in the sport. I think he's just so, 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 so good. But I think both teams are are in good spots in short.
0: Okay, so you bring up a good point. Uh, Being an Astros fan, I have – I mean, like what you just said, I have no – I had no idea that Correa wasn't a big name. I mean, he was the American League Rookie of the Year. I thought he was a big name. I know he's always hurt he's very fragile he he, he missed uh, like 70 games this year because of a back massage he broke his rib i don't know if you knew that but he just can't stay healthy but when he can he's to me he's one of the best shortstops in the game
1: yeah i feel so as well and you know you would think he'd be a bigger name being a former number 1 overall pick but it just sort of seems like anytime you see Houston in the headlines it's either the pitchers Bregman or Altuve
0: right Okay, so here's one that they call a push. Third base. And this is two MVP candidates, as far as I know. Uh, Bregman and Rendon. Uh, Am I saying that right? Rendon or Rendon? Rendon,
1: yeah.
0: Rendon. So Bregman, a 423 on base percentage. And Rendon, 412. Slugging percentage, 592. Bregman, 598. So they're both very good all-star caliber i think bregman's an amazing fielder he has an amazing arm we expect the same thing from y'all's third baseman
1: yeah uh it's this is an absolute push uh i was sort of joking with a colleague when we were sort of gearing up for this series that this is sort of that spider-man meme you know rob where they're yeah yeah (laughs) pointing at each other And, and they're you know, long, if you project long term, I'd rather have Bregman just because he's three years younger than Rendon. But in terms of this actual best of seven series, absolute push. Both guys are just nails on both ends of it. And uh, you would kill to have a third baseman like either one of these guys.
0: Yeah, I talked a little bit on the last podcast about uh, about Bregman not really coming up big. He wasn't, he doesn't have like one of the big home runs or the big moments, but he is getting on base. He's getting, a lot, he's getting a lot of walks and I don't know if they're pitching around him or what, or he's just got very good plate discipline, but he's yet to explode in the playoffs as far as I remember.
1: Yeah. He doesn't have that signature moment that you see over and over again, but it does seem like, as you said, he gets on base, which at the end of the day is all that matters. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I think you should win the MVP over Mike Trout this year. I imagine you feel the same way. Uh, that's a different discussion, but
0: yeah, uh, I do. I do.
1: Yeah. I, you know, to me, like a third baseman on a 107 win team, I'll take that over a guy that won seventy something games, but you know.
0: So do you, <laughs> do you, if you were a voter, would you give some credit to a guy that was on a winning team and also a guy that played the entire season? Would you sweat? Would he get, Little sway towards his way because of those,
1: absolutely. I, you know, everyone views the MVP differently. I take it in its little, literal, literal form of most valuable, right? And you know, how valuable can you be if your team doesn't even go 500 with you? Meantime, Astros in a very difficult American League and with one of the best team, the best wildcard team out there in Oakland. You know, there's Bregman there holding it down. You talk about Korea being out for a while. Yeah. And and they you know they were able to get the home field advantage over the Yankees, which proved obviously important in Game Six. Yeah. Uh, not that postseason has anything to do with the MVP award, but um, you know, to anyone, you know, we in this sabermetric age, we sort of discount that we look at the raw numbers. But I don't agree with. I guess I'm more old school, and I still value the winning part, <laughs> um, right? Because you know he Bregman was playing important games, and and Trout wasn't.
0: Yeah, he was valuable to his team. Correa was out. He moved over to shortstop. I think he played 40, 50 games at shortstop. I don't know, maybe 60. Uh, They they said, they they were saying Bregman to be the MVP, he's got to get his OPS over 1,000. He's got to get his home runs in the 40s. I think his batting average ended up 296. I think he did it. I think he did enough.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you.
0: And that also, we'll talk about Cole and Justin Verlander about the Cy Young because I think Jv had it all season, and Cole just came and took it away from him at the end. Well, that we we'll could talk about that in a little bit. Uh, so left field, Soto. It gives you the advantage on left field with Soto over Brantley. Soto with a 401 on base percentage, 548 slugging, and then uh Brantley is just a solid guy just, he's he's not gonna hit a ton of home runs his batting average is always in the 300s he's just an all-around solid guy but it gives you all the advantage there
1: yeah I to me Soto has the edge but I do feel badly if you will uh because I'm not giving it to Brantley just because my respect for Michael Brantley is so high I think he's so 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 good and as you said solid is like the perfect word for him and Obviously, recency bias, that incredible play, the double play that he turned, you know, doubling off judge. Uh, You know, he like I couldn't believe how well he was hitting this season. But but Soto is a future, if not a I shouldn't say future. He's a current star in the game. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, he's he turns 21 this Friday and you're going to be hearing that name for a long, long time.
0: So I don't keep up with any other teams, but I've heard of Soto. Well there you so, go. <laughs> so he's got he he's got to be a star. So one thing I want to point out, if you just look at the last three positions we talked about, you got Turner, Rendon, Soto, Correa, Bregman, Brantley. I mean, that's six superstars. I mean, I, I it just sounds like we got a couple of stacked teams.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, we. I'm very interested to see in 20 years how we look back on this series in terms of how many potential Hall of Famers we have in this series.
0: It seems like there's quite a bit.
1: Yeah, there are. I mean, there's already two guys who, if they never throw another pitch, Verlander and Scherzer are in today. So, right, uh, there are these are these are some heavy hitters <laughs> playing on this team. Uh, absolutely.
0: Okay, so we go to center field and we've got my favorite player, George Springer, who hit 292 and usually he's about a 240 to 260 guy, maybe hovering under 250. Uh 39 homers, he almost had 40 home runs, the MVP of the World Series 2017 against Robles. A 255 average and 17 homers. I don't know much about him, but they give the edge to Springer. I'll give the edge to Springer as well, just based on what I know about him.
1: Yeah. So I give the edge to Springer as well, but if we have this conversation in two, three years, it's probably going to be Victor Robles. He's very young as well. He's a fantastic defensive center fielder, really covers a lot of ground. So it's going to be interesting to see how he handles and maneuvers himself, you know, in, in the Minimate min- min- ballpark for the first time. But, uh, I think that, you know, and he's, he's very, very fast on the base paths. But Springer's a special player, and, and I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. Okay, so, see, that's one thing I'm I'm glad that we're talking about because you say about Robles, and I'll be looking for that. I'll be looking for how he plays outfield, and I, I didn't even realize he was a young guy. I had no idea. So it's, it's very good that you took the time to talk to me. Uh, then we go to right field. They give you the advantage. Eaton over Josh Reddick says they're both average hitters. They're both average defenders.
1: Yeah, this is a push. This is uh, the least sexy. <laughs> Other than yeah, uh, you know, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it's kind of like catcher uh, how we started this this off. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, if I, uh, whatever, it's a toss up. Eaton Reddick. Um, yeah, they're just they're both guys in right field.
0: Yeah, so Eaton, uh, three sixty five on base percentage. Reddick three nineteen. Reddick makes some good catches. He he saved some home runs this year. He's pretty popular. Uh, if you don't, if if you're not, uh, well, they don't play the walk up music for the visiting team. Are you going to travel to any of the games or no?
1: Uh no, I'll be I'll be in studio and then uh, and then I'll be at. The ones in DC. Okay, so
0: I don't know if you're a wrestling fan, but Reddick's a big wrestling fan, and his walk-up music is Ric Flair's entrance song. And so you hear a lot of our fans uh, wooing when he's up there. Oh, good to know. All right. So, so if you if you hear him wooing, that's why. He's All right. Like, okay. So DH, you you're saying that uh, Kendrick's will be doing
1: DH. Yeah, Kendrick is going to DH uh, probably every single time that they play in an AL park. Uh, I, it, it's, you know, it's, I, it, forget the righty lefty thing. It just makes most sense because of because he's a great bat and not a great glove.
0: So he's a great bat. So are you saying that you go back to Washington? He's going to be the second baseman. Correct, just, be, just for the bat. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. That's something to look for. So. It, it gives us the advantage for Alvarez, who should be the rookie of the year. Almost hit 30 home runs. Barely played the whole year. Uh, should be the rookie of the year. I think he had a 316 batting average. He did very good against the Rays, but he did nothing. He did nothing against the Yankees. And that's what kind of scares me, is the Yankees have good pitching, but nothing compared to what he's going to face against the Nationals. And I almost think maybe. Uh, but Hinch keeps sticking with him. I mean, he's got power. He can hit a home run any second. Uh, but it gives us the advantage there. But I don't I don't really know. I don't know how they can give us the advantage when he hasn't done anything.
1: Yeah, I give the advantage to Kendrick in that one because he's the hot bat. As you mentioned, Alvarez isn't. And Alvarez, I mean, didn't he get benched for, you know, Diaz pinch hit for him late? He pinch
0: hit for him, yeah.
1: Yeah, in, in a crucial moment. I thought that was really telling. Uh, so I give the edge to the veteran in that regard. But Yeah, he know, struck
0: out like 19 times against the Yankees. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, it was, it was bad. I, uh, you know, one thing, though, with Alvarez, obviously being that left-hander and, you know, going up against Scherzer and Strasburg, you know, a left-hander, who could hit a home run off two righties. That's definitely something that NAS fans are worried about, but um, you know, again, we're splitting hairs here on some of these, but I would, yeah. I would take Ken for what it's worth.
0: Yeah. There was one, one day. If if you're watching, when you're watching the games, when they're playing the Stros, that he actually broke the scoreboard and batting practice, the big, the big screen, I think they call it El Grande. And then off to the right, There's just barely a little bit in the outfield of the third level sticking past the uh, foul pole, and he hit one up there in a game. So he's got tons of power. He just has to get a hold of it. Wow. So it's something to look for. He's a young kid, might be a little overwhelmed. So let's go to starting pitching. I don't know if you think it's a wash. You can – Uh, They already announced game one's Garrett Cole and uh, Scherzer. It's already – I saw it online. It's already been announced.
1: Yeah. uh, In terms of starting pitching, so I guess they sort of give the edge to the Nats in that – I think Cole is the best of the bunch. Let me be clear on that one. But the Nats have four starters, and and Houston obviously doesn't. And Grinke has struggled so far this postseason – so, I think I give the Nats a slight edge.
0: Okay, so it looks like it's going to be Cole and Max. That's a wash to me. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, Garrett Cole hasn't lost a game since May. Yeah, I that's, mean, not, he, that's he,
1: not a wash. Cole, Cole is better right now
0: than Max. Oh, okay. So, we'll give, we'll give it to Cole. And then JV and Strasburg will we'll also be at home. So, I don't know how much. I, I think that kind of affected Verlander in the cold. He gave up the four runs in the first inning, but he didn't give up any more runs in six more innings, which was amazing. And uh, I guess just as a homer, I would give us the advantage in both of those matches then, if you want but... to.
1: I, I give it to Strasburg. Strasburg is, I said Cole right now, is the best pitcher on the planet. Strasburg yeah. is the second best pitcher on the planet, in my eyes. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, be... uh, I give it to him.
0: <laughs> that is going to be two amazing pitching matchups i'll tell you that for sure so next they got paired up corbin and zach Greinke, 293 corbin 325 and you stated that grinky was struggling i can't remember what he did against the rays but he pitched six innings and gave up three runs against the yankees in the second game i thought he only gave up one run yeah, I think he only gave up one, but
1: but he loaded the bases, and it looked like he was getting ready to get pummeled. Yeah, I just I, I haven't been impressed by him so far this October, and and Corbin had a really bad start to October and has bounced back lately. So that game three one could go in different directions. Keep in mind though that David Martinez said today they might move Corbin to game four and start Sanchez that because maybe they'll use Corbin out of the bullpen uh, to face a left hander. Uh, you know maybe face alvarez in a late game situation in games one huh. or game two so keep your eye on that they did that in the NLCS in game two he came into face one batter and then he started game four.
0: Oh okay. Yeah. So uh that that's one thing I always say on my podcast that uh Zach Greenkee is just not impressive for some reason. But he went eight and one with the Astros. His ERA was over three, but he went eight and one but I guess, you know, if you have the team he has behind him. But this guy gives the overall advantage to the Nationals as far as starting pitching. And it's basically exactly what you said, is the fact that you have Anibal Sanchez as your fourth pitcher. And we have Urquidy or Peacock. And we're missing uh, – well, I wish we still had Charlie Morton. Then we'd be really unstoppable but we lost Lance McCullers Jr who started game 7 of the World Series to Tommy John and i think that's about all we're missing out on here uh but uh Wade Miley was one of the best five pitchers in in the American League for about 99% of the year and then he just i don't know what happened to him he just
1: lost it and he's not even on the playoff roster yeah so we used to, I'm going to be interested to see if they – is there any chance he'll be on the roster? I know he wasn't on the ALCS. No. So. Okay. No,
0: he's horrible. I don't know <laughs> what's wrong with him. I really don't. I don't know what's wrong with him. Interesting. So, it gives the advantage to y'all based on having four starters, and I've heard good things about Sanchez. Uh, like you said earlier, almost threw a no-hitter. Uh, the bullpen, it gives the advantage to the Astros – We've got Joe Smith, the sidearm slinger, who he also had Tommy John, but he came back towards the end of the year, and he's he's done very well. we got Osuna, who's a great closer, but can give up some long balls, as you see in game six against the Yankees. Uh, Presley's one of the best relief pitchers in the game. Kind of has a knee injury that's kind of playing with him. I think he still made the roster, and he said he's going to be okay. But he's amazing. And then Harris, Will Harris. So think, remember that name if you don't know about him. Uh, he was an all-star a couple of years ago, but his ERA is in the low ones. He goes in and shuts them out, and he just gets no attention, no love from anyone, but just look out for Will Harris. And then your bullpen, you have Tanner Rainey that says he's a th- that he throws the ball hard. Fernando Rodney, who's been around forever. Uh, Javi Guer- uh, Guerra. Guerra, Guerra? 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 You're,
1: not, you're only going to see him if it's like 10 to 1 in either direction. So.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> and then Austin Voth?
1: Yeah. Uh, Our boss? See, see my above com- comments on the 10 to 1 thing. You're not going to see those guys. Okay,
0: okay, so so are these pretty much the only two bullpen guys that are reliable?
1: Uh, so, actually, the two best bullpen guys are Sean Doolittle and Daniel Hudson. And Daniel Hudson's become the closer. Sean Doolittle was the closer earlier in the oh, year. Oh, yeah. Um, they're, uh, so, they're a really good one-two punch. But then it, it jumps off a cliff after that, which is why they use Corbin, maybe, in the playoffs oh, okay. uh, out of the bullpen. Tanner Rainey is a guy that they do trust to throw an inning, like a sixth or seventh inning. Um, but
0: Maybe I uh, just skipped over that.
1: Yeah, uh, but uh, but that but there's you know it it's very top heavy, and they've had a, a myriad of bullpen problems throughout the season, and that was one of the main reasons why they were 19 and 31.
0: Oh, there he is. They're way up here. The bullpen has not been the downfall many expected. It has top four starters plus relievers Hudson and Doolittle. Through ninety percent of the team's innings in the NLCS, the four starters and those two guys through ninety percent of your innings. Correct. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I did. I guess that was way up top, and I didn't see. Okay, that's good to know. I was wondering, like, man, y'all got a pretty, pretty weak, (laughs) pretty weak bullpen. But but I've seen Doolittle on TV over and over, so I I I just forgot all about him until you said that. And so that's the end of my notes. Did you have anything that you would like to ask me about the Astros? Uh,
1: I guess um, who is in a perfect world? What's the seven, eight, nine? So let's say Verlander gives him six. I know Asuna yep. pitches the ninth. Who pitches the seventh? Who pitches the eighth?
0: Okay, during the regular season, Will Harris was the seven. And then Presley was the eight. But Presley was injured. He has, had a problem with his knee. And so Will Harris moved up to eight. And then you you could see the side armor Joe Smith in the seventh. And when you looked at game six with the Yankees, they moved those around. And I think maybe it was because it was the top of the order in the seventh. They used uh, Will Harris and the seventh, and Joe Smith, and the eighth. And I sure hope I didn't say Will Smith because they said that on TV and it was
1: real annoying. (laughs) Yeah, game six. As as someone who likes old school baseball, game six was a nightmare for me with two bullpens going in game six of the ALCS. That That was not fun to watch.
0: Yeah, so it's amazing to see that the Astros are in the World Series and they don't have a fourth starter. Even though that Urquidy guy, I don't know if you, see, you saw him come in. I think he almost pitched three innings. But he, he did really good at when the shots that they gave him. But I guess they just trusted uh, Peacock a little more.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what it seemed like. All right. You got anything else? I'm good. I, uh, no, this has been a lot of fun. really appreciate it. It's been a perfect way to prep for, yeah. for game one.
0: All right. Well, I, dude, I really appreciate you. And I reached out to you on Twitter. You answered right away. And I mean, I really appreciate you joining me today. It was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, this has, this has been, been tons of fun for me as well.
0: So you you're on uh Twitter @timshovers? at Tim Shovers. at T Shovers, Yeah. Oh, T Shovers, Yeah. And, uh, okay. Well, I'll tag you in this podcast. So any of oh, y'all that you. hear it go on Twitter and, uh, you can follow them so you can get you some gnats. I know some of the Astro fans on Twitter are looking for people to follow. So this will be uh, someone good to follow for some news. Uh, so, anyway, I do. I really appreciate it. A lot of fun. Appreciate you answering me right away. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, and we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball.